Welcome to the Amateur Diaries podcast, the podcast that dives into the latest research on exercise and diet to provide you, the listener, with some clarity on an ever more confusing statements coming from various media outlets. So if that sounds interesting to you, why not give this podcast a listen? I must stress that anything said in this podcast does not substitute the advice of a medical professional. Listeners are advised to seek professional medical advice before acting upon anything learned during any of these episodes. And with that, let's dive into the initial episode on the vegan diet. So I think it's important to first stress that, well, first provide information on my background with the vegan diet, just so we can understand any biases that I may have. Uh, I have done a fully vegan diet twice in my life. Uh, The first time was 2018. I did that for nine weeks. I would say I gave it a valiant effort, but I was in a stage where I was trying to bulk as a rugby player. I weighed about 105 kilos, measured 189 centimeters, and simply getting 230-ish grams of protein in a day without protein shakes, well, without multiple protein shakes in a day, was simply too challenging, and I ended up dropping off the meal. Um, Then in 2021, I took the the diet on again, and this lasted, I'd say, fairly rigidly for a year before slight alterations were made, more meat was added back into my diet, but I still remain relatively plant-based in comparison to my previous meat intakes. Uh, I'd say I've gone down to about 100 grams a day, probably six days a week in comparison to 250 grams to 500 grams um, a day, um, seven days a week. So that's kind of my biases. I have tried the diet before. I do not follow it rigidly anymore, but I have got reasonable experience around it personally. So I think ever since 2018, the vegan diet has been aware to pretty much everybody who watches Netflix that was when the game changes came out. Before that point, at least as a um, as a rugby player myself, in the changing rooms before that point, I'd say vegetarians, I'd say, were mentioned somewhat regularly, but only in reference to someone they knew. But after 2018 and the, the release of the game changes, I'd say 20% of people were either giving the diet a go knew someone, were discussing it regularly, and it had become a fairly common topic. So, in the media, the plant-based diet provides, well, plant-based diets, so that includes a vegan diet, provide a well-established physical and environmental health benefits, can I stress, in the media. Um, These benefits mainly stem in part from the degree of restriction of the animal-derived foods, So, in theory, the more restriction there is, the better the outcome. Um, Historically, uh, meat and other animal-derived proteins have been viewed as kind of an integral part or an integral component of an athlete's diet, um, leading to a lot of questions from people on the other side of the fence as to the adequacy of a vegetarian or vegan diet for supporting athletic performance, which for me is, me personally, is is a key part of my life athletic performance I've transitioned to cycling rather than um, rugby but still athletic performance being a key part for me and probably a lot of people Um, so based on current available literature it's uh, it's unlikely that plant-based diets provide an advantage but also do not suffer from disadvantages these are all early early kind of statements so we'll build upon all of them but um, when when they're compared to an omnivorous diet um, for strength and anaerobic and aerobic exercise performance, um, there doesn't seem to be advantages or disadvantages following um, uh, plant-based diets. What we will come to talk on is that is usually over a short period of time, so this can be like eight to ten weeks following a program. So any of the long-term side effects of restricting animal uh, products won't really be seen in this, this, this time frame. 
Um, the next key point is really plant-based diets have been seen to typically reduce the risk of developing numerous chronic diseases over the lifespan uh, of an individual and require fewer natural resources for production compared to meat-containing diets. So that's the environmental impact that often is, is spoken about. Um, so as such, plant-based diets appear to be a viable option for adequately supporting athletic performance, seeing as there is uh, no downside to them, apparently. Um, so con contributing overall physical and environmental health. So the environment around you and then your physical health. Um, the only thing is, given the sparse literature comparing omnivore and vegetarian and vegan athletes, particularly at the elite level, further research is warranted um, to to gain like certainties around this and whether athletic performance is actually impaired or not. Um, now, this is where it kind of is, is the key word here observational so observational data shows that vegetarians tend to have better cardiovascular outcomes compared to um, those consuming omnivorous diets and so that's a key thing that was i guess mentioned mentioned in the in the game changes is the fact that cardiac outcomes are better so that includes the risk of uh, morbidity and mortality um, that includes oh well so sorry that includes the risk of morbidity and mortality from uh, heart disease, um, a reduced incidence of cancer, um, decreased risk in developing type 2 diabetes, decreased risk of developing men metabolic syndrome, uh, lower or cause mortality. Um, and these positive health outcomes likely relate to the lower body mass index. This is what was suggested. Um, the lower glucose levels, the lower systolic and diastolic pressure, lower total, um, low density lipoprotein, sorry, lipoprotein cholesterol. So that's your LDLC that you'll see on um, often on your blood work if you've ever gone to the hospital and, and had a blood panel taken. So um, you've also got lower triglycerides. Um, and all these kind of factors are all these key things that you'll hear usually, I suppose, if you go to a doctor with some kind of health issue in there or you're getting a checkup and they say oh yeah your ldlc might be a little high uh, uh your without your uh blood pressure may be a little high and so what is being suggested is following these plant-based diets that these these issues could be resolved um now although that's from observational data um is suggested that experimental data or experimental studies kind of in the short term seem to uh, show similar results um, as I said observational data that's the you've really got to be kind of careful with these so the main problem with observational studies is the presence of confounders and selection bias um, a confounder can be it can be defined as uh, any factor that is related not only to the uh, intervention, so the, the treatment that's been provided, but also the outcome and could affect and, and it could affect both at the same time. Um, so a good example to kind of understand how this works is, is age. So in a study on the relationship between smoking so or smoking exposure, um, and lung cancer so smoking being the the thing you're exposed to like for example like a training stimulus could be the thing you are exposed to and lung cancer being the outcome so the effect and then in sport it'd be the positive training adaption um, age could be implicated as a factor that would increase the incidence of the outcome thus like if one of the groups say this the smokers or non-smokers um, were an older population uh, the increase in lung cancer could be influenced by that age um, and that would be the co-founder um, so if you were a group of people doing a study and you wanted to prove that an omnivorous diet or a plant-based diet was more advantageous you could seeing as you're only doing observational data 
purposely select a group of individuals with conditions or age or uh, sex or whatever it is that you know tie in to give your desired outcome ir- irrelevant to the the actual um, what what the difference is like their diet. Um, it it you do also have to be aware that advanced statistical tools now exist, um, and they can provide a good and reliable control over many of these co-founders. So, if the people doing the study truly are doing a proper scientific study, they can use some of these tools um, and correct for things like age and sex and pre-existing conditions and diet and things like this. But there is there is no kind of substitute really for doing an, a controlled randomized uh, study. Um, so it's probably a good point to say that not everyone following a plant-based diet or a vegan diet is doing it solely for the health benefits. Um, and, and some people, it can be an ethical thing. They can just simply, I suppose, not, not agree with the way animals are treated or the the death of an animal for their own kind of self-preservation now that is something that can't really be debated it's it's up to the individual as to whether whether they agree with it or not um now a a little fact about the sustainability that i came across while looking through all of this so apparently uh, phosphorus is a common fertilizer used. Well, it's used in the uh, part of the fertilizer for food production, um, and obviously it's limited. And in theory, if we continue on the way we're going, it will be depleted within fifty to a hundred years. Now, although a plant-based diet would not mean we would never deplete it but it would reduce the rate at which we do and then suppose give scientists more time to come up with an alternative to to that even but the aim of this episode is not is not really to talk about the environmental impacts and the ethical impacts it's mainly the nutritional side of things so on to uh, the nutritional intake so this is where it gets a little bit kind of I don't know, evidence contradicts itself at times and then corrects itself and then it's all a bit kind of here, there and everywhere. So data indicates that omnivores consume more total energy, saturated fat, cholesterol, sodium and protein, but less fiber, calcium and iron than vegetarians. And then vegans consume the least energy, saturated fat, sodium and calcium, but the most fiber and iron. Um, and then so that was observational other studies with smaller sample sizes largely substantiated these observations Um, and in spite of that higher iron content in their diet um, typically vegans and vegetarians have a lower serum ferritin which is your iron stores um, than omnivores or just meat eaters in general uh, and then this is sort of this is placed on the fact that there is a lower um, bioavailability of the type of iron found in in plants. Well, the reduced bioavailability of the type of iron that is found in plants, um, and that just means that if you eat ten grams of, I mean, these numbers are completely made up, but say you eat ten, 10 grams of iron in um, of animal protein say you get five grams out of that 10 if you had the same 10 grams but out of a plant-based substitute you may only get three or two grams so it just means for your body it's harder slash isn't able to absorb as much of that so even though you're eating more iron overall your body's struggling to um to take that iron and use it um so as high iron stores may be the risk factor for developing some chronic diseases it can be seen as about uh, as a good thing that your iron stores are lower um 
but it's important that a fine balance needs to be struck to optimize oxygen carrying capacity of the blood while avoiding the risk of non-communicable diseases um, and because low iron stores uh, can result in iron deficiency anemia which can be problematic for athletic performance in particular endurance events as iron plays a critical role in oxygen carrying um, capacity now if you're I don't know, a weightlifter, right? And really your oxygen carrying capacity doesn't matter too much. Um, you're, you're really just doing stuff anaerobically, really. Um, whether you're capable of, you know, transport, have a high VO2 max, doesn't really matter too much. But if you're looking to do a... 5k, a 10k, a half marathon, a marathon, an Ironman, a half Ironman, a sprint triathlon, uh, a road race on a on a bike, a mountain bike race, anything really that lasts more than 10 seconds, this is critical that your iron or your iron stores are optimized if you want to achieve that athlete, that higher athletic performance. Um, the the vegan diet though is generally rich in carbohydrates, so omega six fatty acids, uh, dietary fibers, um, carotenoids, folic acid, vitamin C, vitamin E, and magnesium. But tends to be relatively low in proteins, omega three fatty acids, vitamin B twelve, vitamin D, calcium, iron, zinc, and iodine, which obviously are all pretty pretty critical and we'll go into some of these so vitamin b12 that's one of the things that i suppose now well first of all every i think if you go to someone and you say you're vegan or you meet someone who's vegan and the other person knows anything about diet they're probably going to go oh where's you how do you get your b12 or whatever um because Numerous studies have focused and put attention on the possible deficiency of vitamin B12 in vegans um, as it's contained in food like meat, eggs, fish, milk, cheese, all animal products. So if you're eliminating them, where are you getting your vitamin B12 from? Um, it's an essential micronutrient, essential, so you need this micronutrient. Um, and it's involved in numerous biomechanical activities such as maturation of red blood cells um, the function of the nervous system um, the biosynthesis of neurotransmitters um, signs and symptoms that you are vitamin b12 deficient are pretty well known um, they include things like fatigue uh, wheezing lack of energy headache irritability possible anemia um, now that anemia kind of translates to the fact that the maturation of red blood cells is is reduced so it just means you are not producing these red blood cells that are able to carry oxygen um, so you're going to suffer from all these fatigue associated issues because you just simply can't transport oxygen around um, your body um, depression is also on that list sleep disorders um, and just other general impairments so just all things you just don't really want to have the interesting thing now i assumed ah oh, if you went uh, and i think a lot of people who start doing the vegan diet don't supplement vitamin b12 and then kind of go oh i've been doing this for uh, six months and i've got no problems so clearly vitamin b12 it's a gimmick it's a way of someone making more money but in fact uh, vitamin b12 deficiencies can uh, so they can occur in both vegetarians and vegans so it's not that if you're a bit less restrictive you can i mean if you're a vegetarian you can you eat eggs then i suppose you are less likely but um vitamin b12 can actually be like your levels can be buffered by your liver because it has reserves of this like an adequate amount for several years um, and i mean i assume that the, the thing is that's probably going to depend like anything on your prior diet so maybe you had a diet that already was deficient and so after six months you start having problems because you've just sort of got even more radical 
but for the most part, like if you've had a fairly balanced diet beforehand, then maybe you'll go a year, maybe you'll go two years before you show any of these signs as a result of a B12 deficiency. So it's something to keep in mind that it probably is important to uh, supplement this or avoid the diet possibly if these are kind of things you're suffering. I mean, if you're doing any diet and you suddenly start suffering from these kind of things, then, and like headache can be one where maybe it lasts a week and it goes away, but long-term issues like this should be a sign that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Um, now, <clears throat> the next one is protein quality, something that is probably going to be at the forefront of any gym I'm going to call it a gym bro. But anyone who goes to the gym is looking to build muscle, you're probably quite concerned about your protein intake and then your protein quality. Even cyclists and endurance athletes, you're really going to be want to like hot on your proteins. Um, and just and just general day to day, having a high protein, uh, reasonably high protein diet is um, it's kind of looks like it's is it's advice. So. Um, there are several features that differentiate plant-based proteins from animal proteins other than the fact that they're coming from a different uh, source. Um, one of them is that you've got these indispensable amino acids, so branch-chain amino acids, BCAAs, sound probably very familiar to a lot of people who've gone to the gym, always see those people sipping those multicolored drinks at the gym, usually BCAAs. Um, now, before I say what I'm going to say, I came in with the idea of, oh, Jesus. I've For, for years, I've thought BCAAs were kind of useless. Is this going to now tell me otherwise? Because, I don't know, it was always this supplement that you take and well, it doesn't really have many benefits, but people take it anyway. Um, so, BCAAs are particularly important for promoting muscle protein synthesis. Um one of the big ones is, is leucine. Um, these amino acids are more um, concentrated in animal-based proteins compared to plant-based proteins. Um, but it's been shown that, especially in your kind of the protein powders you'll get, that somewhere in the range of like 30 to 35 grams, um, maybe even a bit less um, from a plant-based, uh, these like blends, can be enough to trigger muscle protein synthesis um, so digestion and absorption rates also differ in these proteins um, and thus impact the potential for muscle protein synthesis um, now with all this so the fact that BCAAs are lower concentration, the absorption rates lower, the way they're digested is different. Studies have actually interestingly shown that interventions where they use, you know, either a whey-based protein, so animal, or soy-based protein, so a plant-based protein, um, in conjunction with strength training, have typically yielded negligible differences between the groups of lean mass between the two the, the groups for lean mass development. So effectively saying that there are all these differences between these two protein sources, but when we provide them to groups of people and get them to do weight training, the muscle protein synthesis signaling is doesn't seem to be any different. So, confusing, but essentially if you choose to, you know, veer away from whey because you know, the lactose and you struggle to digest it yourself and you get gassy or whatever, then the evidence is kind of suggesting that you don't need to worry too much. You can buy a vegan protein, not because you're vegan, but because you struggle with whey. Um... The other thing, so I'm going to just put this in there, but remember that there doesn't seem to be any difference in the muscle building capabilities of these two protein groups, but there's apparently a presence of anti-nutritional factors in these uh, plant-based proteins that just affect the digestibility of the, and how much of it you absorb. But 
look, if you're trigger, if you're getting the maximum trigger out of muscle protein synthesis, then it probably isn't something to worry about. Um, now, this is then something to uh, be aware of that the variables that affect dietary protein requirements to optimize this muscle protein synthesis so i probably should have said muscle protein synthesis is or mps is just the process of building muscle so you damage them and then your body kind of in simple terms your body sits around waits a little bit then you see this influx in protein and then goes oh okay i've got the resources to carry on to build this so it's kind of like the bridge has been broken, uh, the builder's there, but if there's no bricks that arrive, he's not going to do anything. He's just going to let the bridge sit there and crumble. But when the bricks arrive, the protein, he goes, okay, I'm going to build this. So he builds it stronger than it was before because he knows that the previous bridge design wasn't strong enough. And that's your muscles building itself bigger because it realized oh, lifting this weight was pretty hard with these small muscles. So... The factors that in like affect how much uh, protein you're gonna you're gonna need to maximize this are age. So the older you get, the more you're gonna need. Well, I suppose the older you get, if you're 18 going to 25, then no. But if you're 25 going to 40, yes. Um, physical uh, activity expenditure. So if you've gone and rode uh, 100 miles and you need to get some protein in you. If you've gone and ridden 10 minutes down the road, then you don't need to have a recovery drink waiting for you with like 40 grams of protein in it. Um, and your energy balance. This could also affect how much you, you want, which we go into. So effectively, uh, various organizations, uh, so the American College of Sports Medicine, uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. I've written these down just because I couldn't remember them. Uh, and the Dietitians of Canada, uh, in a joint position, uh, they said that athletes should consume between 1.2 to 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. So if you were 80 kilos, that would be anywhere from 96 to 136. And then... As I was saying before, if you are uh, in an, a deficit, so your energy balance, if you are in a deficit, so you're trying to lose weight at this point, um, that number is higher and goes all the way up to 2 grams per kilogram, a number probably a lot of people can be quite familiar with, especially if they've done bodybuilding. Uh, so 2 grams per kilogram, that would put you at a nice easy number of 160 if you're an 80 kilogram uh, individual. So if you're writing these down, uh, the kind of initial numbers are 1.2 to 1.7. If you're kind of in maintenance or uh, in a kind of bulking phase, if you're trying to lean out, lose some weight, then two grams per kilogram of body mass uh, of protein per kg. Uh, young adults. So these are kind of the the numbers. So this is quite interesting the kind of general recommendations are from anywhere from 0.24 grams per kilogram uh, to 0.4 so that is pretty different to the 1.2 and 1.7 so especially if you are an athlete you need to be really looking at this kind of 1.7 number if you're doing a lot of training building a lot of muscle running a lot of miles cycling a lot of miles swimming a lot that's the kind of number you're going for i was always kind of of this i read a lot about saying how high protein diets are really uh beneficial uh but then also there's information saying look you know it's bad for your, your kidneys uh and i found some information suggesting that your kidneys only really begin to struggle somewhere in the five grams per kilogram of body weight and and that's a big number i mean five times eight we're talking what 45 so 450 grams of protein per day 
as an 80 kilogram individual. That's a lot of protein. If you are smashing down 450 grams, if you're putting down 300 grams, that's a lot of protein. So to be putting down 400, the most I think I've ever been doing is 220 to 250. And that was that was pretty miserable doing that with whole foods. So being in that realm, I, I think most people who are following a balanced diet of any description don't need to be too concerned with how much protein they're getting on the upper end. If you are there thinking, oh, should I push it to 160 and you're 80 kilos, it's fair to say that if you can hit 160 comfortably, hit it and say that especially while you're exercising. So then coming on to exercise performance, um, muscular adaptions, uh, they can be triggered by exercise and diet. So if you're having an intervention that is eliminating a food group or drastically changing how you eat, then it's fair to say that there could be some implications to your exercise performance. Um, so things change when you're um, exercising. Uh, the mitochondria abundance, the muscular capillary density, hemoglobin, sorry, hemoglobin concentration. So, sorry, so mitochondria, that's almost like your highways. That is the way this oxygen, this blood is getting to the muscle. Um, capillaries, again, another kind of uh, your mitochondria are the smaller then you got your capillaries hemoglobin so again oxygen carrying capacity uh, endothelial function functional heart morphology it's so like just your 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 heart in general um, and the available of the availability of carbohydrates can infect uh, endurance performance and can significantly be influenced by uh, your diet um, now, based on these factors, a vegan and vegetarian diet possess the potential um, for advantageous properties for endurance performance, mainly because they tend to be quite high in carbohydrates because things like, for example, chickpeas. If you compare a chickpea to a piece of chicken, well, you can see it right there that when you're trying to get your protein and you are undoubtedly just getting a lot of carbohydrates in at the same time. Um, so... Now, properties of the contractile elements, so muscle protein synthesis, the neuromuscular system and uh, phosphogen availability can affect strength performance uh, and can also be influenced by diet. So you just your ability to be able to lift heavy things really can be influenced by your diet. Um, now, they also, the key one here is they also possess characteristics that are not going to provide you with that advantage and that is the fact that it's harder to get your protein intake in doesn't matter how heavy <laughs> like how well the signaling is if you just can't build the muscle to move past that current plateau um so uh, there was a recent i say recent it was 2016 uh systematically reviewed by craddock and colleagues that summarized a lot of the literature to like to date of that point um, around vegetarian diets and strength and anaerobic and aerobic exercise performance anaerobic being without oxygen aerobic being uh, with oxygen so anaerobic your weightlifting aerobic your uh, your cycling your running your swimming basically anything over a minute well not even that 10 seconds let's say um, there's generally no significant difference between groups for their vo2 max so the maximum amount of oxygen they can uptake for a given amount of body weight there didn't seem to um, be any difference when they were tested to ex exhaustion um, on various endurance tests uh, maximal voluntary contraction or isometric endurance upon adoption of the vegetarian diet also didn't seem to, uh, to differ um, this is all in spite of the differences of the macro and the micronutrient intake between vegetarians and omnivores 
uh, as well as some physiological differences such as the lower total body creatine and plasma uh, creatinine um, among these vegetarians uh, exercise performance does not appear to differ between dietary groups across multiple measures and types of activities that is effectively the statement I'd say that again, in spite of the differences in the macro and micronutrient intake between vegetarians and omnivores, as well as some of the physiological differences such as the lower total body creatinine and plasma creatinine among vegetarians, exercise performance does not appear to differ between dietary groups across multiple measures and types of activity. So that was from your VO2 max testing, so your aerobic capabilities and your anaerobic capabilities and things like weightlifting. Um, as much of this research has been done with recreational athletes, it is said that more work would have to be done on elite athletes to gain an insight there, but the problem with any kind of dietary intervention is if there's going to be a, a period where there's uncertainty, say you're at the top level of, of sport, if you're told this diet may work or may not work in six months, well, six months is too long for a pro athlete to kind of sit there, twiddle their thumbs and go, can I do this or not? But also at the same time, if there are any pro athletes who have done a diet swap, notice massive differences in their performance, they're unlikely to come out with these kind of benefits until they've already won everything. So it's kind of a waiting game for the general public. Um... Now, I decided to put this in later than earlier. So I touched on vitamin B12 deficiency. There's also the vitamin D deficiency. And originally I was going to put that uh, further up with the vitamin B12. But because this is so, uh, has such a large impact on the uh, your physical performance, I thought it would fit better here. So... Studies that knocked down the vitamin D receptor um, in, for anyone who knows what this is, C2, C12, mitoblast. So just generally studies done where they reduce the effectiveness of the vitamin D receptor uh, resulted in decreased mitochondrial oxidative capacity. So just the reduced ability for your mitochondria to oxidize. Uh, the the glucose in your bloodstream or the fat um, and ATP to production so both kind of your maximal strength and your then your aerobic ability is decreased um, when vitamin D is so it just means that vitamin D clearly plays a key role in strength and endurance performance uh, as vegans consume significantly less vitamin D compared to omnivores, this may be one of the things that could affect uh, endurance performance. Uh, recent studies have shown positive association between vitamin D status and endurance performance, but also showed that vitamin D supplementation did not improve exercise performance. So although vitamin D <laughs> in the body seems to be positive, supplementing it doesn't seem to do anything for this athletic performance that doesn't mean it doesn't do anything for your health overall but for athletic performance uh, slamming a bunch of vitamin d doesn't look like it's going to do you any favors uh, so vitamin d for endurance exercise performance is still inconsistent and fields haven't really kind of decided what to say about it um, so besides that the choice of diet also influences the the gut microbiome. Now, this is one of the kind of things that people are talking about, and it's it's widely accepted that the constellation and the variety of the microbiome significantly affects the mechanisms like fat oxidation, uh, carbohydrate and protein fermentation processes, and protein anabolism. So, fat oxidation, I mean, it's critical for really for an endurance athlete you can't rely on sugar all the time for athletic performance over the course of one two three four five ten hours so if you've got a healthier gut microbiome and it happens to improve your fat oxidative capacity then this is going to be key and then protein for recovery carbohydrate for those high intensity sessions 
this looks like to be positive. Vegans and vegetarian diets possess potentially beneficial properties for the gut microbiome and might therefore influence those mechanisms, which may then affect in the long term exercise performance, which is where these kind of shorter 7 to 10, even shorter studies may be sort of losing on that potential kind of uh, uh, benefits. So then metabolic syndrome, which was also mentioned uh, mentioned earlier, um, it's just a cluster of conditions that occur together, um, and these increase your risk of heart disease, stroke, and type 2 diabetes. Um, these conditions include increased blood pressure, high blood sugar, exercise, uh, sorry, excess body fat around the waist, um, and abnormal cholesterols and triglyceride levels. So these, in theory, are all said to be reduced by the following of a plant-based diet. Again, largely from observational studies. So there could be co-founders in there that mean basically the people who are following these omnivore diets may not be following the healthiest diet in general. And these people following this uh, plant-based diet are following a healthier version of the plant-based diet or vegan diet and therefore have got a lower chance of metabolic syndrome. So it, the, the stuff like that is still quite vague. Uh, obesity. Plant-based diets have been shown to effect effective in the body weight kind of loss sphere. Um, in particular, reduction of visceral um, and subfacial fat. So like just visceral, just being those that fat around your organs that you really don't want. Um, and then fat in the muscle tissue, which interestingly enough, if you are an endurance athlete and you go into an event, say you happen to have a DEXA scan the day before um, the event, so you check like your intramuscular fat levels. If you actually have, say, a little bit more intramuscular fat, that fat can then be used as, a, is as an energy source. So in a way, it's kind of beneficial. So as an athlete, it's almost something that you don't... Visceral, still really need to be worried about visceral fat. Um, but intramuscular less so obviously if there's a massive amount then yes but small amount isn't going to hurt um, and then so both of these have an impact in glucose homeostasis which is key to kind of this is this whole kind of thing of diabetes where you kind of need to be avoiding it and apparently plant-based diets have been effective in kind of producing that um, there are two mechanisms that seem to be involved in the body weight loss associated with the diet. The first mechanism is linked to high fiber content, um, so I guess satiation. And the second is linked to the increased uh, postprandial energy expenditure, so the energy that comes from digesting things in general. So you just eat food, it's just harder for your body to digest, so you burn more calories digesting it. Um, a low-fat vegan diet followed 14 weeks uh, induced a significant weight loss related to the increased insulin sensitivity by improving glucose uh, cell uptake. This is something that can be achieved really with uh, a good aerobic endurance training of zone 2, um, not necessarily through the sudden elimination of all animal proteins. So it's kind of one of these things where, again, this information could be taken and kind of spun to tell you that eliminating animal protein. But the data is sort of suggesting that. Uh, blood pressure, which is the key thing, the key variable that is the reason that my first initial eight-week trial, nine-week trial, was based around um, so high blood pressure is the most important cardiovascular modifiable risk factor um, and it accounts for about 50% of all heart and brain um, like sort of blood trauma lack of supply events um, so dietary uh, patterns play a fundamental role in the prevention and the treatment of, of hypertension um, which is high blood pressure, sorry. Um, so, so uh, like millions of people suffer from it. Um, 
and it's considered I mean think it has changed recently in the US to 130 millimeters of high hemoglobin and a uh, diastolic pressure uh, over 85 I wouldn't quote me on that but for the rest of the world and especially the UK it's 140 over 90 either one of those so even if you're 120 over 95 you're still hypertensive if you're 142 over 60 you are still hypertensive so either of those are high you are considered to have hypertension and should consult if you test yourself at home and it's 140 something you should go to the doctors because i didn't originally because i was lazy um the onset of this high blood pressure can be delayed uh, and counteracted with adoption of a proper diet through your life uh, the, it can be characterized through low SFA intake high fruit and vegetables intake uh, the reduced amount of food rich in salt is another thing that's suggested uh, you can find that in things like the book about how not to die they hammer home the idea of low salt um, and limiting the consumption of alcohol to achieve and maintain over the time the correct kind of body weight and blood pressure um, so lipid metabolism uh, this is something that I suppose for everyone is kind of critical um, athletes this will be really useful uh, but you can also achieve it again this is another thing that can be achieved through zone 2 training so lower kind of endurance training uh, but apparently a vegan diet a study was conducted um, and the authors showed that the vegans have a better regulation of lipid metabolism in a particular uh, that of triglycerides uh, a vegan diet is more efficient in removing potentially arthrogenic residues so it's this idea that so basically it's been demonstrated that the vegan diet improves the metabolic pathway so they just the, the pathway in your body that um, tri triglyceride rich lipoproteins so um, a lipid and protein for transporting cholesterol so the LDL and HDL um, in the body so since the removal of the remnant lipoproteins from the circulation is faster in vegans um, compared to that of omnivores um, it's, it's more beneficial because they're not sitting around doing damage um, but the actual uh, lipolysis process seems to be equal so metabolizing those um, sorry mobilizing the fat stores during fasting and exercise so it would seem that these damaging uh, LDL and HDL cholesterols that sit around in your blood, those can be removed faster, but the actual lipolysis, so the ability to use that fat as a fuel, isn't any higher as a uh, vegetarian or a vegan. Um, but, again, those getting those LDL, and uh, so for example, you've got LDL-C, um, is lower in vegans according to these studies and that's where you get the improved cardiovascular health uh, so glycemia you got hyper and hypo so hyper being high blood sugar and hypo being low but the prevalence of type 2 diabetes appears to be relatively low among the individuals who follow plant-based diets again subject to who you've selected um, Numerous clinical studies have shown the improvement in the glycemic control and in the reduction um, of cardiovascular disease onset. One kind of good example is a 12-week pilot trial conducted um, on type 2 diabetes patients who followed a vegan diet showed a 28% decrease in blood glucose levels compared to a 12% measured in the control group that instead followed a free diet. So that is kind of the, again, although this on the surface seems fantastic, um, you've got to kind of bear in mind, say for example, 
those people following the plant-based diets um, were kind of uh, in in better state in the first place maybe when and they were a healthier fitter individual in the sense of their like cardiovascular abilities so maybe they were endurance athletes when they then and they may be following a poor diet when they then were put on the vegan diet the cleaner diet they responded better than maybe the individuals who also followed an omnivorous diet a poor omnivorous diet but weren't endurance trained meant that the 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 thing that the, the stimulus didn't have as great an effect now it states though the benefits effects are due to the absence of the animal origin fats and the increased consumption of foods with low glycemic index again there are so many things that affect this you've got the order at which you eat your food uh, and the fact that when you group all these foods together anyway you're kind of mixing glycemic indexes like you never really just eat white rice or the only time it really happens is things like crisps where you eat them on their own and chocolate bars whereas when you're eating like white rice versus brown rice and you're mixing it with like proteins and you're mixing it with fats this kind of effect is is minimized uh so yeah so to summarize all of that um it's a bit of a can of worms to be completely honest um if you're gonna eliminate and that is the key thing eliminating food groups now understandably if you have an allergy to something or an individual thing like say maybe one fruit in particular one vegetable in particular it's slightly different to eliminating a whole vast range of items such as all animal derived products you're really if you are not eliminating them you can kind of not be haphazard but you can sort of go about things without too much research and just sort of pick and choose and vary things but if you are going to eliminate food groups then it's really important to do your research and figure out kind of what foods you need to be eating within that diet um, and what foods you're likely going to be supplementing and especially if you're eliminating animal proteins you're going to kind of have to for a period of time count your protein to ensure that you're getting adequate amounts um, the pros and cons aren't as clear as they are laid out in the game changers or many of the sort of youtube and instagram uh, accounts it's not that clear it's not that you eat a plant-based diet for a year and now your bench press pbs are phenomenal you eat a plant-based diet for six months and suddenly your ftp if you're a cyclist or your 5k time comes down by like two minutes um it's it's just not as clear cut as that if you're coming from a highly poor highly processed diet and you come to a much more well balanced vegan diet then maybe yes you may see some of these improvements but it's really going to take a lot of work um, and likely clearly from this uh, require supplementation so that's the end of the episode if anyone is still here feel free to uh, stick around for a give it a, a, a like and a follow on I think I'm not sure yet what outlets this is going to be on but whatever outlet you're on give it a give it a like give it a review give it a, a comment or whatever is available just do that and uh, hopefully I'll put something out again when I feel like looking through some more research on another topic and if there is a topic that you happen to like me talking about then why don't you just suggest it and i'll have a i'll have a look into it but uh thanks for listening and goodbye